you guys smell that? Oh, it smells good. Do you smell that? Yeah. It's a new, fresh version of Cinnamon Desktop, version 2.6. Uh, now, I wonder if uh, Clem hates it when uh, Michael Larbell does this, when he pre-announces. I got to imagine if you've worked months and months on something and you want to make a big announcement and you want to drive people to your blog with screenshots and bullet points, do you hate it when old Larble here is uh, watching your GitHub page or, he's, or maybe he's just watching his forums, but whatever he's watching, Cinnamon 2.6 update uh, was just tagged. The release version was just tagged on GitHub for Cinnamon. And uh, it's a significant update. This one uh, bakes in systemd support, which is pretty nice. Uh, panel support for multiple monitors, which my wife would kill for. And uh, support for client-side decorations, which is becoming more and more common. Uh, I'm looking right here at Polari, which is a great IRC client off of my other screen. Mm-hmm. Needs client-side decorations. Uh, TweetDeck, or not TweetDeck, um, TweetBird, client-side decorations. So uh, those wanting to grab Cinnamon 2.6, guess what? you got to wait. Uh, Clem will have an update for you soon on his on the blog, but uh, in the meantime, packages are going to be hitting probably Arch and Linux Mint very soon, and then the other distros. Um, I have a question for the Mumble Room guys. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, there's obviously you could just get Linux Mint Cinnamon Edition, but for some reason, doesn't like Fedora and Cinnamon sound like a super tasty combination? Does that sound appealing to you guys? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. If you're really? Into that whole thing. Yeah. So, I have my own preconceptions of Fedora, I guess. Oh. Uh, times I've used it. And I have my own preconceptions of Cinnamon. And I think that, although they might complement each other, they might complement each other in the worst way I could think of. Oh, lay it down. What do you mean? Lay, give me your wisdom. Share it. I know. So, whenever I've ever touched Cinnamon... It's great. It, it's it, you know, it's a wonderful feeling desktop, and, and a lot of people love that. <laughs> it so has a great I, personality. I want to get that out first. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. It has a great personality. <laughs> I, when it act, but the way it acts drives me insane. Uh-oh. Chews up so much RAM. It's, yeah. It's, cra- it's crashy. Well. You know. Yeah. At least when I use it. I'll, yeah. I'll put that. Put that in front of it. Well, no. I'll give you this. Maybe, it, maybe it, other people... It actually has been a little crashy for me, too, and a little memory-hungry. But if I'm okay with restarting it, and, you know, it's real easy to restart yeah. the Cinnamon desktop, it seems to be okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's the same thing. You know, same thing with Fedora. Kind of, you know, seems to have some great stuff. But, you know, a little bit crashy. A little bit odd things happen. Really weird times. Wow. Wow. Ryan, what do you uh, think? Uh, Ryan, uh, do you want to defend uh, Fedora there, or were you just uh, clicking your mic open? <laughs> I was just accidentally clicking my mic. Oh, open. I thought maybe you were so passionate about passionate. You were going to go down <laughs> on the mat for Fedora, uh, but no, no, that's not the case. I, I actually see. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's why I said Fedora and Cinnamon, and I, I am, I'm not saying it's there right now. Fedora 22 could be one of the first versions of Fedora. Maybe we don't know yet at this point. That ships with like a like a really easy to get going with cinnamon setup, and uh, I, I, I starting with Fedora twenty one, I feel like they crossed into holy crap, this is like a legitimate useful desktop, and and there's things out there like F- Fed Up and Fedora uh, Tweak and and things like this that make it more more usable, but uh, or Corora really, um, it's getting there though. It's really, really, really getting there. And while Ubuntu goes through this awkward transition where they're going to do Unity next and they're going to go to Snappy Packages and they're going to go to QML and and QT for their desktop and they're going to converge everything, it's really nice to think that, boy, there's this Red Hat-backed distribution, you know, Red Hat that makes all those billions and has actual sway in the market. There's there's this Red Hat-backed distribution out there that could have Cinnamon and GNOME. 
and Gnome is going to be the premier desktop. Cinnamon's going to be a pretty solid choice, and Corora is going to work on a KDE version for you. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to look at Fedora, and I'm thinking, eh, boy, if they just had a few more months of support or the community stepped up like they used to do back in the day. I, I Here's where I'm at, guys, and we're going to talk about this more in the show. This week, I, I had a come-to-Jesus moment with Ubuntu, and I said, get it off this machine. I, I'm not going to do – this sounds like I'm being a diva, but it's, it's, I'll explain more in the show. I'm not going to do another episode until Ubuntu is removed off this computer. And I said, check my contract. There's a clause in there. And Rekai came down here between Tech Talk Today and Linux Unplugged and, and installed Entergross with GNOME 3. And on a, on a System76 Meerkat, I'm going to give you all the details on why that is. But I look at this and I think we need another solution out there. And for me, it's, it, it cannot be Ubuntu 14.04. It's not a usable solution. I'll explain more why later. Uh, and, and now what am I going to do? So my, my default is I went to Arch. This is a daily media production computer. I do a daily show and then I have another show later in the day every single day. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with it being Arch. So far, it's been more reliable. And so that's where I'm at. But I'm not so sure that's a solid statement on the state of Linux for media production. So now I'm looking at Fedora and I'm thinking maybe there's an opportunity there if some of these things are addressed. So I'm really excited about Fedora 22. I'm watching it very closely because my expectations and my needs from a competently backed Linux distribution are beginning to change. And so Fedora could fill that role pretty well. Can I chime in for a second? Go. Cool. Uh, that's actually why um, I started talking to Ike and, and getting interested in Solus because I was hoping to help build a distribution that I felt could actually not piss me off <laughs> constantly. And and I hate to say that because I was, a, I was a firm Ubuntu user for a really long time and I loved it. And then with every single new release, um, probably I, I was actually okay with Unity and everything, but... After 1204, it seemed like every new release, I was having more and more issues that I was like, I haven't had these issues with, you know, some other distributions. I don't understand why this is supposed to be so stable when I'm having these problems. And I'm and somebody was just telling me the other day about uh, they they tried to do an upgrade. They didn't have any extra, you know, crap on their machine, no extra repos. They tried to do a straight upgrade and it broke something. And I was like, yeah, I've, I'm thinking about it. Since you've said that, I've never had an upgrade that has just worked under Ubuntu. Hmm. And I, I uh, guess I just feel like there is a market opportunity for somebody to come forward and say, established Linux users, not we're not going out to new Linux users, you know, people that are professionals, people that are experts, established longtime Linux users. Fedora has an opportunity to step up and say, let us be your premier desktop platform. And wouldn't that be great for Red Hat, too? Because that naturally would then sort of channel those people into using things like Red Hat and CentOS on their cloud installations, on their deployments at work. Like, it fundamentally is like planting the seeds to grow Red Hat's enterprise business by becoming the champion on the desktop. The fact that they bailed on it years ago, I always, I was always shocked shocked by that because that seemed like such an obvious connection and it's clearly one of the things that's helped uh, helped ubuntu dominate amazon and digital ocean and rack space right one of the reasons ubuntu does that is because a lot of those people are developing on an ubuntu workstation too don't kid yourself yeah red hat red hat blew it when they pulled the plug and said ah we'll let the community do it but you know what turns out now ubuntu's blowing it right 
And I'm not saying yeah. blowing it like, um, like oh, they're making all these horrible mistakes and they're going to destroy everything. I'm saying blowing it like they're not, they're not paying attention for a look for a few years, and and they could very potentially be working on maybe the most kick-ass desktop eventually. If they really pulled everything off and they had these all these snap stuff and this transactional base update and they had everything that was converged and this great SDK for developers writing for Linux to target, like if they really pull all of that off, maybe it's the most badass Linux desktop. In the meantime, though. It's a hot mess, and it's a transition. And yeah. so there is an opportunity for Fedora to be like, hey, you know what? Long-time Linux users, you want something you can rely on. You want something great. You want something that's taking advantage of the latest open source. Fedora's already known for all of that stuff. It just seems so perfect for them to just slip right in there and be that next spot everybody jumps to. Because it's not going to take like this huge rebranding, like it would take a massive rebranding for Mandriva. Nobody takes OpenSUSE serious enough on that scale, so that's not going to happen. And there's all these other distros out there like Arch or all of the other distros that are really great, like Elementary. But they just don't have the momentum or the approachability that something like Fedora does. And Fedora has the great interface. They have a good installer now. They have a great community. They have fantastic documentation. They have Red Hat behind them. They just are not executing this. And I don't know what that barrier is. Maybe it's impossible. But it just I, – I think I – I want it to be them. I when we were when when you know when when it came time to reload this 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 machine, I I I, I guess it's I guess it's Arch, because I can't think of what else is going to work better, and that is to me, that's not a state of how awesome Arch is. That's not Chris being an Arch fanboy, because. Th- I didn't make that decision out of a point of of fanboyism or out of evangelism. I made that out of a well. I guess it's that or Windows, and I don't want to do Windows, and so do Arch. I didn't do it because oh. yeah, let's do another machine with Arch. I mean, Arch is great, but it doesn't feel like the a, a rolling distribution doesn't feel like the solution for a machine that's supposed to do audio and video calls all day long. Like that doesn't feel like the right solution for that. Uh, but it, you know what? And I I went with an LTS and it blew up so bad. I've I I not only had to delay one show by an hour and a half on Sunday, I had to completely forgo doing another show. So I have I have, I have damaged two shows, directly impacted my work and my business because of Ubuntu LTS's flakiness. So I had to bail on that. And my other option is Windows. And I I just I think why isn't why isn't Fedora the answer here? Something modern, something well, that gives me the latest packages so I have the latest audiovisual stack, I can get the latest mumble clients, something we're sent to OS, can't deliver on that. Why isn't Fedora already in this position? And it, it seems bad, it seems baffling to me because if they could completely dominate this, then it seems like people would naturally slide into the cloud stuff. All right, I've made my point, I'm rant done. It's just, I, 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 I'm desperate for them to do it. Uh, you, I know, it's like you're saying this. And it's like I, I know you, you listed a lot of things. You didn't t- you didn't touch Debian? You didn't touch. Uh, there was another one I had listed. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the main distros. Just ones you might want to think of in the future. Give it a shot because I, I know people are just like, oh, Debian. It's like, oh, you know, people have this kind of predisposition of, oh, it's low and it's old. No, Debian's a great oh. distribution, right? Uh, what's I the know. what's the uh, what's the company behind Debian that can make people in the market do what they say? And also, what's the what's the company that could write a million dollar check to Nvidia a, one day? I don't I don't know of one. Right? There's you need to have an organization that has some pull in the industry. You need to have an organization that can write a check from time to time. You just need to have an organization that maybe could fly a few people in every now and then to talk about stuff. Like 
These distros are great, but they can't even do that. It has to be a distro that from time to time could afford to fly a developer in. That We need to be so, able to start at that level. They so, do have that. They do have that. I'm, but there, I'm, are, there are... There are there, like, just because something is kind of a, a, a volunteer organization does not mean they don't have money for that. You know, Exorg and all these other people put out tons of money every year to do this. You're right. In and fact, that, that's why more than That's others. right. That's why, that's why there's so many Debian-based OEMs out there. That's why there's so many hardware <laughs> there partners. That, there are. No, no, no. No, there are, yeah, there are, yes, people, there there are. are companies out there, there, are. there that use Debian, and because those companies use Debian, they create a contract with a manufacturer to write some code. But there's a complete difference. There than, than, than a, there's a total difference in a company like Valve contacting a group like Canonical and working with their developers and working through their organizational structure and then a foundation that has some volunteers that get some money that has about two thousand dollars to spend from time to time to fly people around i mean i'm not saying that's not great it is super great and i'm very 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 glad we have it but it is a totally different level than what you need to be if you're going to actually be a premier platform provider and it's it's for the desktop in this marketplace today with the market conditions and i'm not saying Deb- that that demotes what debian is because debian's an amazing distribution that so many things are built off and it was what i really discovered re- Discovered Linux around when I put it on servers. I mean, it's a very great distribution, but it just can't be what is the it, it, it can't be Ubuntu. It can't be Ubuntu on the desktop. It's not. It's not. It's not backed by an organization like Red Hat, and that makes a huge difference. I feel like I Red Hat kind of screwed us. I feel been. like Red Hat screwed us basically. I feel like they bailed on us and screwed us. Yeah, Red Hat has the resources. What you're talking about, they have a lot of resources. They're not a poor organization, and so it is frustrating when you see. Then they have this blue-headed stepchild that they've had forever, and uh, and granted they're putting more into it now, and and it and they're making it better, but it's it's still got a ways to go, and it is frustrating coming from what is uh, many would consider to be a flagship Linux company. So I'm there with you. I think SteamOS might have been a bad idea to use as an example for that. Go ahead. I mean, because it is Debian-based, just because, you know, Debian isn't working specifically with any vendor doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, vendors going in and taking their software and using it. That's kind of the spirit of open source. Debian's the place you want to go if you want to find the core developers, the people inside Linux. But if you want to get out and pull people in, it's not the place to go. I feel so let down. I just, I guess why I'm upset is I just feel, I feel really let down. Did you try PC Linux? Hmm, Yeah, you know, how many more things should I try? God, it's just, it's, it's such a bummer. It's such a bummer because I've, I've just, I don't know. I, I try to get people to switch to Linux all the time and I advocate the platform all the time and then I try to use it and it just fails for me and it's just so frustrating. Oh. I mean, I, those of you who didn't watch yeah. the tech talk, it was just such a joke. Like, so just a real quick, like total, like abbreviated. Like, I don't even know. So I restarted. I restarted the machine this morning, and when it came back up, uh, all of the two USB sound cards that I have uh, were only listed as uh, input de- or as output devices, not available as input devices. Of course, one needs to be input and one needs to be output. One's the mic in, one's the mic out. Pretty obvious. So uh, for some reason, all this. So not only did the sound devices change. Um, 
the labeling. So the label of the sound devices change. So they're actually mislabeled. That it reverses them. But you know, there's only two of them, so I can figure that out within about five seconds, and I've gotten used to that. It doesn't even bother me more. But it's odd that it happens after every single freaking reboot. So I get used to which sound devices have swapped the names. And then now this time I discovered that they're only listed as output devices, not listed as input devices. Okay, well, you know what? The mumble room, they're pretty flexible. They just need to be able to hear me. And I have a show I need to do. It is now after 9 o'clock. It's or I'm already late. So I finally figure out nothing I'm going to be able to do about this. I try plugging, unplugging, powering off, powering on. Nothing happens. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not really totally, like, totally invested in it because I'm also trying to prepare a show and I'm on the live stream. But, you know, whatever. I, I see that the monitor webcam uh, mic in is showing up. I have the mic in on the sound card, which is ironic because the NUC actually has audio out, but it shows audio in from the sound card and the USB webcam audio on the, on the built-in uh, webcam on the monitor. So I figure, well, the mumble room could probably stand to just listen to me on the webcam microphone. Even though it's about four feet away from me, they'll be able to hear me. And because I can still control audio out, I'll still be able to hear them and record it. Now, think about this. Think about where I'm at right now. Before I'm trying to do a daily show, and this is the re- this is what I'm reduced to because this is just randomly falling apart from a reboot. Oh, but okay, I'll choose the webcam audio. Not a big deal. I can roll with the punches and troubleshoot afterwards. Yeah, I have another show to work on, but you know what? I'd like to spend an hour of my day troubleshooting this again, even though I just spent two hours of Sunday troubleshooting this. Oh, fine. So I choose webcam audio, and this is by mind you. Because I've had so many issues, I'm doing cold boots now. So I've done another cold restart, figured out which uh, uh, USB device is labeled as what, made sure I have the correct input and output. And the only thing I've opened to this point is the sound settings control panel or system settings, whatever. And I can see audio input when I talk from the webcam. Great. So I close that. I open up Mumble. No audio. Hmm. Well, I go check the audio settings. It's set to pulse default. Well, pulse audio in is my webcam. Pulse out is, is the correct audio out. Sound card. Because, again, audio out is the only thing I control in, in that setting. Huh, well, it doesn't work. So I close, the, I close Mumble. I open up the sound settings. Well, I see levels when I talk. Why doesn't Mumble hear anything? So I close the sound settings. I open up Skype. I do a Skype call test. Oh, Skype hears me just fine. Skype can hear the audio. Huh, so I close that. I open up Sound Recorder. I record me talking. Sound Recorder records me just fine. I reopen up Mumble. No audio. No audio. Why? No, no. I have now run into a completely new bug in Mumble completely unrelated, apparently, to the other bugs that I've been having. So I have to now close Mumble, turn the computer off, boot the computer back up, now figure out which USB device has been labeled as which, set them as my audio input and output devices, and now open up Mumble, changing absolutely nothing else, and the audio works just fine. So somehow I get through the show, and at the end of the show, we decide, Got to take Ubuntu off here. This is just not working anymore. This is just not usable. I don't know why it's working like that. It is an Intel NUC. It is Ubuntu fourteen oh four. It has had a, a. It has had. It has. I've tried it with updates installed and not updates. I have done updates because I thought it can't get any worse. And then that's when the mislabeling thing started to happen. It got worse. So I, 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 I just don't know what to do at this point. Like, I, I have had people oh. look at it. I have troubleshooted. I have I don't know. I don't know what else can be done other than to replace the operating system. And I am baffled as to why it happens. But it is I, unusable. I, I have an idea as to why it's happening. It's, it's unacceptable. I, I agree. Uh, so it sounds exactly like a UDEV ping problem. And it's been outlined. And it's something that Ubuntu is apparently looking at changing. Because Ubuntu, the UDEV has two options, right? 
it can go and assign just basically whatever whatever device comes up first when the kernel goes and finds it, right? And that's what it assigns the first device. And that's why it assigns ETH0 and ETH1 and all these other things. And that's why these can flip randomly, it seems like. Now, you can do a kind of a pinning process of, okay, when this one comes up, I want this one to always be ETH0. I want this sound card to always be, you know, audio zero or, you know, what, what have you. And Ubuntu doesn't have that, basically, that little switch flicked. And uh, it's become more of a problem now. I believe Fedora does actually flip as I've done this. And it is a, it is a real problem. I, I've, I've personally had this problem with Nix, where I've done it as to per an e, you know, per E0, these are the settings for E0. Yeah. And yeah. then I reboot yeah. and everything's fine. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. yeah, that's awful. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, I understand your pain. And I understand where you're coming from with the Red Hat thing. Is, you know, like, just there's not someone I can call, you know, or I can talk to or that I know has covered this situation. And, you know, De- Debian, I guess, isn't that perfect one. Because, you know, they're going to have their own philosophical ideas on how things should work. And maybe that should be up to them. You know, Red Hat will be more about thinking, I'm selling this thing. I need it to be just like this. You know, I kind of kind of understand that feeling. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, and I, and and it's a, it's a, so uh, and some some things about being in media production exacerbate it a little bit because like I have like something something that some people don't have is I have a USB three HDMI video capture device and if I open up Jitsi and then close Jitsi and want to open up Skype, video for Linux will not release the video capture device from Jitsi, so I have to reboot the machine in order to release the video capture device so that way I can then open up Skype and have video. Well, that then if you have any kind of problem with the audio issue, that then exasperates that issue, right? Whereas in a normal Linux system, you probably wouldn't be rebooting as frequently as I am, so you don't run into it every single episode like I do. So there's like there's things that just compound on top of it that make it worse than what normal people run into. Like like a lot of people aren't having to change their audio interfaces very often. That's just not something they ever touch. Right, but here mm-hmm. it's something we change from time to time, and rebooting is something we do occasionally. And I, I try to, I try to minimize the, just I try to make it work so bad, and it's just I, I feel so defeated when I've now had like I've lost when three days of work to this problem. Yeah, and so man, I still recommend giving OpenSUSE a try. I don't really, well, I've never really been much of a fan of Fedora, other than you know testing a few things here and there but i always say you know OpenSUSE still has the release model it has stable upgrades it's got server you can sue it it's got a company backed with millions of dollars behind it that you can you know have send developers around they've got which company is it this year i I, they change companies so often i can't keep it straight i'll just say yeah but you know, just give it a try. No, I've used, see, I used to be but, an OpenSUSE uh, user. I used to. I, I, me too. You know why uh, the OpenSUSE movement died? Ubuntu. Their PR is magical. They roll over no. anything. No, they just take no, really no, it's, no. It's nothing to do with PR. Ubuntu is a better product. They're That's good why. At it. No, Ubuntu is a better product. That's why Ubuntu took over. Oh no. Okay. If it was a better product, I would have been using it. No, it's a better product for oh, more people. Really. I think it's a better product for more people. Right, you're the single arbiter of what is very bad in the Linux community. (laughs) What? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Ubuntu's friggin' lost my friggin' vote a long time ago. (sighs) Give it a try, man. No, no, you tell me like I've never tried it before. 
I just ran yeah, like whatever 13.2 or whatever it was. I mean, you know. Other than on a VM. No, I had it on a yeah. I had it on a Bonobo. So Chris, yeah. Um it, in in my opinion, you could switch to another distro and maybe that sound problem will go away. Maybe it'll go away like today, maybe yeah, it'll go know, away right? for yeah. the next 6 months and then come back. But something else will come and bite you, whether it's oh no, I can't inst- I can't update my Java install which is required by something else or oh no, I can't update my browser or there's some problem when I plug in USB devices that causes it to reboot. You know, that would be, be an issue. But either, aside right? from that USB one, none of them would stop me from doing a show though. Right? That's what gets me. No, but but every dis- no distro is perfect, and I'm not saying we are. Right? No, but I agree. They all have their own individual issues, and I I you know I get this a lot at Linux user groups where people will install a distro, and it doesn't really matter which one it is. They'll install a distro, and something mm-hmm. won't work. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the video card or their wacky mouse or whatever. And so the solution to that is not work out what the problem is, but it's you know wipe it and put a different distro on. And when eventually they'll find one that they're happy with. F- you know, for whatever measure of happy that is. And then, you know, you could check the mailing list and six months later, they'll have flipped to something else because something else pissed them off. Or, you know, it might they might last a year, they might last 18 months, or they might be happy on an LTS release of some distro, or they might be on Debian Stable and nothing changes and there's cobwebs everywhere, but it's all holding together and everything's fine. But someday something will fuck up and they'll get just as pissed off again. Yeah, I suppose what you know what you know what's ironic is in a way if I could have booted up and realized oh no this update has made my audio way worse if I could have rebooted again back into the old system state that would have been very nice like some sort of like transactional update <laughs> where I could where I could just roll back because <laughs> I could have if I could have rolled back I would have it could have been manageable had it not been like all of the other issues compounded by the latest updates and I was hoping the latest updates would make things a little better because I figured it's already busted can't get much worse got way worse and don't get me wrong I feel your pain you know when when something goes wrong and I, I just want to throw a laptop out of a window you know that that frustration especially when you have a deadline and you've got something to do that it it is the worst feeling in the world when mm-hmm. you're fighting against and you feel that it feels like the computer is fighting against you. It's it's a horrible feeling. It is indeed. It is indeed. Heller, go ahead. You wanted to make, I think, what is going to be a fantastic point. That was your line. That was your cue, man. That was your, you were supposed to yeah. own that. <laughs> um, like, like I said, the most stable disk drive I've ever used on my Lenovo laptop has been Arch proper. I've gone through Mint, Fedora, uh, Ubuntu and Debian and yeah. all of them, they've all come with something that just, but mo- most of it's been graphics. It does have an Optimus NVIDIA card in it. So I've had that issue, but the biggest, the biggest strong point uh, I can make for Arch is the fact that gaming on Arch and Steam and everything on this Lenovo that I have has been phenomenal compared to the other districts. I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not busting them down. I don't know. You I know, use them for other things. One but. of the things that really bugged me about the uh, Ubuntu uh, Snappy uh, personal, I can't remember what it's called when it was announced that Ubuntu Next is going to be based on Ubuntu Snappy. One of the headlines that went around a lot, there's a lot of different versions of it, but one of the ones that went around a lot is Ubuntu is setting out to make Linux more stable. And I thought, what the hell does that mean? 
You know, like because when you tell users things are more stable, they think does the does the program crash on you? Does the operating system lock up? But, but actually, if if I could have rolled this system back and had a more functional system, that would have been my definition of stable for a production machine. And I, in in a way. We've we, initially the reaction to the Ubuntu snappy release is, oh, isn't that quaint? They're taking a tar GC file, they're they're decompressing it to a partition, and they're updating the bootloader and they're booting off that new partition. And if it doesn't work, you boot back to the old partition. That's very adorable. And then we just sort of dismiss it as, oh yeah, that's transactional. <laughs> but really, that's all it would have taken to fix my entire problem today, to to to, to solve two shows problems. And I would have considered that more stable. And so what a, what Canonical and Ubuntu are saying really is, hey, you know this entire way we've been updating our computers this entire time? That's just inherently not all that stable. And there's just not really a way we're going to make that better. It turns out the way software is built, the way Linux is built, where one group is working on Pulse Audio and one group is working on Video for Linux and one group is working on this and the other group is working on that, turns out not really a great way to just ship that in individual updates like that. So we're going to do these in these big snapshot updates and you just roll back if it doesn't work. And sorry everybody else, you can keep doing it the way you're doing it, but we don't think that's a good way to go anymore. I think they might be onto something. Um, because there has been a huge problem, not just in a situation like I had, what I ran into, but if you look at how successful vulnerabilities like Heartbleed were, it was because people hadn't been updating their systems, their OpenSSL installation, or the PlayStation Network. Remember when Sony got hacked years ago, uh, back at the start of TechSnap? They got hacked because they didn't update their Apache servers. Right? You've all been in enterprises. You guys all have seen, I mean, most of you probably, if you've worked in any company at all, have seen some super old installations of software because there is a certain roll of the dice when you update that software. And a lot of businesses are more willing to bank on the risk then they were then they are willing to bank on the almost certain problems of updates. And so there were documents from the more recent Sony hack, the Sony Entertainment Pictures hack, the more current one from the with the whole interview movie. There's documents from that where their CTO clearly says, their chief technology officer clearly says, it is cheaper for us to run the risk than it is for us to mitigate and fix it. And part of that yeah. is is because Linux is a huge part of these infrastructures. And it's not the Linux kernel's yeah. fault, but Linux distributions are not super great at updates. Even ones like Red Hat Enterprise, they're not super great at it. Stuff breaks. And Windows isn't super great at it either, and neither is Mac OS X and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, nobody's super great at it. But we did get better at it with the mobiles, didn't we? So I don't know. I'm, so we were a little – in 92, well, we were a little like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea, but it's a little quaint. And now after having lived this last couple of days – on an Ubuntu system, I'm thinking if this was a year down the road or whatever it's going to be and this was a transactionally updated system, I wouldn't have had this problem. So what I can kind of, I can kind of take from this is it might very well be like, you know, the Ubuntu's contribution you know, to Linux, you know, Red Hat's contribution system, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, and maybe that will be a good solution. You know, it'll bring its own problems. But I, I guess the nice thing about this whole thing is we might have a solution coming at Ubuntu. And what's even better is it, it's not going to be the only way to do it. So you'll be able to get your perfect system where you just update good chunks and, you know, the Arch people will be able to update everything transactionally you know, 
in their own with using Pac-Man. Hmm. And you know, it, you know, I kind of think that you know it, all these problems aren't going to go away. I think it's just going to become a there's a solution to it. Yeah. This is your solution over here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can do when humans are continuing to make the software until the computers take over. Yeah. I think that's what we're going yeah, exactly. to have to do. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so the end, the our, end, our end solution was um, Antigros, and <clears throat> because I just wasn't sure if Arch was a great idea for this machine, even though every time I put Arch in production, I've been happy with it, I still, mm-hmm. I think because I spent right. so many years in, in the enterprise IT area deploying Red Hat and, and SUSE Enterprise, like, to me, I just, I cannot get over that bias like i just it seems i cannot get over it so like putting arch in here seemed like such a big risk to me that we're running this on the system 76 meerkat and the original NUC is still sitting right next to it with the ubuntu mate 1404 install ready to go so that at any moment if i have a problem with arch i just unplug everything and plug into the into that machine it's just as, <laughs> it would be probably just as broken but uh it it is uh it's we'll see i'll run it like this for a little bit and find out what happens, I guess. I should uh, I should do like Putin. Did you guys see that? Uh, did you guys see that uh, Russia is going to fork Sailfish OS? <laughs> oh, I didn't. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That Russia is going to. Uh, so Russian's minister of communication, uh, Nikolai uh, Nikovov or whatever, has taken uh, to forums and consortiums and whatnot to announce Russia's plan to take a forked version of Yala Sailfish OS to lessen its dependency on Western technology. Uh, it's a work meeting he held last week with uh, folks from uh, Sailfish Holdings uh, and Yala, along with other companies and participants in the open source software domain. Russia's officials uh, recently swapped out their iPads for Samsung tablets, switching over to Android recently, and declared that they want to invest more in open source software. Uh, and so they're uh, they're going to look at uh, how they can use open source more in private sectors, uh, technical sectors, economic sectors, political offices, and uh, other areas to lessen dependence on Western technology. So we could have a Sailfish OS fork soon. And speaking of Yala and Russia, uh, watch out, uh, Popey. The Ubuntu phone has some serious competition. The Yoda Phone 2 is up on Indiegogo this week. I, I mentioned this last week in Tech Talk Today. I would have talked about it in Tech Talk Today except for the, uh, well, the Linux problems prevented me from doing the entire episode. But uh, they are at 60 days right now on their Indiegogo campaign. They are 177% funded already. And I think they just launched it eight hours ago. So you might wonder, why is this thing funded 177% in eight hours? I know why. You guys know why? Never even heard of it before. Okay. Well, this is why you got to watch Tech Talk. Dual freaking display. Yep, exactly. E-ink on the back of this thing. E-ink. Uh, here, I'll play a little bit. This thing is so What if we so see cool. the world around us the wrong way? What? What if we are just used to a one-sided world? Feelings. Dreams. Hearing. Seeing. Love. Used to one-sided freedom, one-sided communication. But what if... What if one side is not enough? Yodaphone. The phone with two fronts. We are so used to our smartphones that we accept the fact that we have to charge them multiple times per day. We can't see, we can't read in sunlight. 
It's required a lot of efforts and clicks to get access to information we need. And we thought, what if we look at the smartphone from another side? And that's how Yotaphone was born and solve all these problems. It doesn't waste battery power and legible under sunlight. All information you need is available to you just at a glance. And this screen can even act as a nice photo frame. Plus, electronic paper display doesn't hurt your eyes and it's perfect for reading. Over the last two years, we've developed two generations of Yotaphone and now we are selling Yotaphone in more than 20 countries. This phone has won more than 20 prestigious industry awards and has been called many times as the most innovative and disruptive smartphone of the year. But we need your help to bring this innovative, disruptive smartphone to North America. So please support our Indiegogo campaign and be part of dual screen revolution hmm. with Yotaphone. So it's interesting. I like the idea of e-ink on the back. Like, you could see how that'd be really useful for, like, reading a book, too. Uh, so, like, the Kindle app or something like that. But, Corky, you say don't trust it? I say do trust it. Oh, because, do trust it. Well, it's if you look at the specs, it's a what you'd expect in a normal phone. It's an, a Snapdragon 801, 2 gig of RAM, 1080p screen. The only difference is what you can do with the back of the phone with this e-ink display. It's not as if they're tackling... 15 different new goals at once it's simply this is their usp and if they get this right it'll be an amazing phone i really so they say up to 45 hours with yoda energy mode huh uh always on information on the back of the phone like clock temperature uh notifications uh, you can have breaking news you can also have your google fit information up on there like your steps and maps this is a pretty neat idea you guys and this is a great example of something open source phones could totally do too it doesn't need android to do this i mean they're going to ship they're going to ship it with lollipop but uh yeah you can see why it uh has uh <clears throat> already gotten a lot of funding it's a pretty neat idea it's a, it's fun to see where these devices are going to so that's uh that's the yoda phone and uh I don't know. I just, you know, you look at your Sailfish and Yala. There's a lot of neat phones out there right now. Of course, the Ubuntu phone, too. A lot of, uh, they just have the new uh, Maez phone or whatever that uh, just went available for Chinese Meizu. developers. Meizu. thank you. Meizu. Yeah, I was wondering about that, if you're going to mention the Meizu. Yeah, yeah, the Meizu MX4, um, which, uh, yeah, and then also, the, yeah, Rotten Corpse, did you want to mention the Zen Phone 2 that uh, is like an x86-based phone, right? Yeah, it's an it's a 64-bit uh, quad Atom. And it has four gigs of RAM. Um, it's got 1080p screen. It's a dual SIM phone. Um, it's got like it's got a ridiculous amount of hardware specs, and it costs three hundred dollars US. Yeah, and I bet with an x86 base, there's a probably probably a pretty good chance you'll be able to get all kinds of fun things on there. Well, technically, it, it's theoretically possible, but right now the bootloader is locked. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, yeah, uh, XDA and some other people are, are working on fixing that. No, yeah. actually, it's Intel's fault, not Asus's fault. Asus say they are going to unlock it. Yeah, well, they, they're um, saying that Intel locked it, and they're trying to basically get a deal with Intel to let it. Come on, Intel! You're not in a position of power in the mobile market. You should know better than that. Also, the cheaper version is two hundred dollars, sixteen gigs internal storage, two gigs of RAM. Uh, yeah, uh-oh. that one so by itself is a powerful phone when it's got a price of like one of the mid-range phones. Willie, yeah. you have bad news on benchmarks, though. I was surprised that hearing, even though it's x eighty six based, 
the benchmarks were putting it at below, in some cases, a Snapdragon 801, which was really surprising given, you know, just how powerful it was supposed to be. Well, I mean, you know, they've been working on these ARM chips in mobile specifically now for years. I got a good head start. Well, it also depends on, like, with the with the 4 gigs of RAM, you can make it do a ton of things that just the RAM is handling and the, the CPU can do uh, less, you know, less effort into it. And it also has, like, the the power VR GPU stuff so it can like kind of manage it better. Mm. So if they're just to do just focusing just on the CPU, then that's not really the whole package of a phone anyway. Yeah. You know what? If we're going to talk about mobile, this is the perfect opportunity for uh, me to take a moment here and uh, thank our sponsor Ting. Go to linux.ting.com and guess what? We have a great deal until the end of June. You can get $50 off your first Ting device or a $50 service credit when you go to linux.ting.com. Now, what, 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 what is Ting? Whoa, 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 wait, what, what, what's going on here with Ting? Actually, hold on. You know who says it better than I do? I could tell you what's going on with Ting, but with a with an introduction like that, I'll, I'll tell you. He says, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'll tell you what's going on with Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. Ting's my mobile service provider. I like Ting a lot because you only pay for what you use. That's way better than the duopoly that's out there right now. And, and I, when I think about changing the mobile industry and what effect I can take as a customer, there's not a lot. I don't have a lot of power. I have the need to have a phone, and I have to use the existing infrastructure, and it needs to snap in with the existing infrastructure as much as possible, as much as I've tried to work outside that system, maybe using only a Wi-Fi or something like that. Mm-mm. No, especially not once uh, family tries to get a hold of you. It just doesn't work that well. So uh, this is where Ting worked well for me. It gives me the control, but it also helps me feel like maybe I'm pushing the market into a certain direction with my monthly payment because you only pay for what you use. They just take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and they add them up at the end of the month. Whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. And it's just $6 for the line. Uh, that's crazy. Think about that. In fact, I think one time one of the from one of the big two, I think the lowest I heard – I know I've heard $35 a line before <laughs> I laughed when I heard that. I think I heard. I think I've even heard as low as fifteen dollars a line. Um, and of course, they'll tell you ten dollars a line. But then, of course, they put the tax on there, and they have a couple of administrative fees. And then it really turns out to be like what seventeen dollars a line. Uh, Ting six dollars a line. There's going to be taxes on there, but it's no. There's no hidden fees. There's no nothing sneaky in there. If you want to, like for example, turn on hotspot and tether, you just pay for the data usage. They have voicemail, caller ID, picture messaging, all this. You know. They're all the regular stuff you'd expect, and they have a really fantastic system if you need support. First of all, they've got no-hold customer service. You call them at one eight five five ting ftw anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m., and a real human being answers the phone on a weekday. That's pretty nice. They also have one of the best self-help sites out there, not only because they have a community of rabid enthusiasts that are constantly helping you out and trying new things and like pushing the envelope and pushing Ting, and Ting loves that. But they also have like subreddits and they're on t- they're on Twitter, so you can hit them up there. They have YouTube videos they're pumping out all the time. They make using the, the Ting experience. They make the Ting experience even better. They're giving you great apps constantly. I just they just uh, Kyra just picked a, the, like this Turpin or whatever it's called Turpin Profiler. I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. It's an unbelievable app. This is an unbelievable app she picks. I mean, these these people are truly tuned in. Like the people they hire to do their help desks for when you call in at one eight five five Ting FTW. They were like, well, how do we make sure that if people call in, the first person they talk to can solve the problem? You hire the geek. 
So things like, oh, well, that's what we'll do. We'll hire the geeks. And that's what they've done. And it's it's just – it's awesome. So they have like – and they have this really great mentality to how they roll out like features in their dashboard. I don't know how much they talk about this. I don't know how much I'm even allowed to say. But their dashboard's really awesome. And they treat it like a full forward application development environment. Like they have like rollouts and phases they go through, internal testing they do. They have betas they put out. They have feature sets that – you know, like so uh, recently Ting rolled out uh, GSM service. So they have CDMA and GSM. And uh, it's that's something you know you have to work on over time to integrate that correctly into your management dashboard because they've got a really great management dashboard and it works across all ranges of devices and you know so they're really particular about it. So their development cycle approach to how they roll out these kinds of features is like you'd almost think that was the entire focus of the business, but they just really get how to deliver this stuff because they're backed by two cows and two cows has been around since the nineties. Like they've been through the they've been through the ups and downs of the internet. They've done some of the best stuff on the web. They also run Hover. Right. I mean, you guys know two cows. And so they've they've figured out what works and what doesn't work and how to structure these companies. And uh, that's where Ting came from. And it's just so perfect. It's perfect for our audience. It's perfect for me. And, you know, when you go to linux.ting.com, they've got this $50 promo right now, which is a really great device, So, which is a really great price. Uh, so you can get a great device like the Moto G. $91 from Ting Unlocked. And if you go get our, if you get our discount, it's going to be even cheaper. Or, or here's another great device. You can go, if you have your own device, get a SIM card. Or I really, 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 really like the Moto X2. I don't have the Moto X2, but I would seriously, I would seriously recommend the Moto X2. Also, another great device. If you're going to go to linux.ting.com, get the MiFi 5580. Your $50 service credit when you get this thing, you're going to get a $50 service credit. That's going to pay for that hotspot. I'll go get the Moto X2 unlocked. That's just that's a great device. That's a great service too. Linux.ting.com and a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are rocking it. Congrats to the rollout to the GSM network. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm really happy. Uh, just a little, a couple of updates from the headlines that didn't make it into Linux Action Show this Sunday. Chrome Stable is Chrome 43 is bringing better high DPI support to Linux. Which is really nice because I've got my XPS 13 with the high DPI display and it drives me crazy. I have, I have every web page zoomed in at 200% and the UI doubled and it's still too small. Uh, so high DPI support will be landing via your updates very soon. Thanks, Google. We appreciate the update. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about some of our favorite terminal applications. We have just a, and then uh, let's see, do we have any more? Oh yes, a couple more things, and then uh, and then we're going to get to the Meerkat review. Um, and I wanted to start with uh, a couple of our, our favorite terminal applications because uh, uh, Stormson eighty five wrote in. He said, "So I feel cool using the terminal, and honestly, it feels more efficient half the time to boot." What are some of your most must-have or maybe most frequently used terminal applications? I've been trolling through the Arch Wiki's list of terminal apps, and I found that's a good start. Um, hmm, wow. I have never actually looked. <laughs> the Arch Wiki has everything. I've never looked at the Arch Wiki's list of apps uh, for the command line, but they do have a lot of a lot of stuff here. Uh, anybody in the mumble room have a favorite command line app that you use all the time that's not Vim? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I, I love HTOP and Vimon. Oh, yeah? They are, install them on every single system, including servers. Like anything you can name, yeah. Like HTOP is, yeah. is process viewer the way it should be, and Bmon is a bandwidth have, monitor, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, and it has so many beautiful statistics. Yeah, Bmon like, just at the tips of your fingers. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, they're there for when something goes wrong, and you're thinking, what's what's going on? Something's not right. You know. Uh, yeah, uh, one of my favorites is um, 
uh, YouTube download, YouTube-DL, and you'd think it's just for downloading YouTube videos based on the name, uh, but it downloads all kinds of videos. I'm not going to tell you the dirty videos it can download, but it can also download those, and it can download like Fox News video clips. It can download so – it, it has – what it does – it doesn't do everything, but it does a really good job of you give it a URL, it downloads that web page, parses the HTML, and tries to figure out the video embed, and then tries to pull the source video for that. It's not just YouTube. It's sweet. So YouTube-D. I've made it a pick before. Uh, oh, and look, uh, you can uh, – there we go. There is a list of YouTube DL supported sites, and it's a pretty good list, and a lot of them are porn. Uh, anybody else have a uh, – <laughs> well, it is. Anybody else have a favorite app? Well, I'm a full-time tiling window manager user, so I currently have 15 terminals open. Um, but I'd say my favorite would be CMOS. Uh, lots of people use NCMP, yeah. CPP yeah. as their music player. But I really like CMOS as just anything. Put it there, read a music folder, start playing. What was the uh, just amazing. Pandora? Is it Pythos? Is that the Pandora? What? No, what's the command? Pythos, yeah. yeah, is that the command line Pandora client? That's a really good one. Uh, okay, I've got a couple other my favorites, obviously. I, should I even give SSH a mention or is that too obvious? I guess I'll give it. <laughs> uh, and I'll just do an honorable mention of Vim, Nano, and Emacs. I think we all agree. Piano Bar. That's what it is. Pino Bar. P-I-A-N-O Bar. That's what it was. Not I, No, Pythos is the graphical one. Okay, I can give you an example of one that's not very commonly used, but it is very useful for when you do need to check. Um, LSHW mm-hmm. gives you your, a list of all your hardware, and that is so useful when I want to check to see like what CPU and what RAM I have, and or when I'm on a new, a new computer, I need to check that. Yeah, uh, I, I use it quite a bit, especially with like different hardware testing, and uh, especially when you can output it to HTML and just load up in a browser. So nice. Well, I'll- thanks to. Thanks to Jupiter Broadcasting, I can't remember when. I now use Inksy a lot as my status monitor. Yeah, it gives you so much info. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll give a I'll give a nod of the hat to Wimpy because um, I mean I knew about DD Rescue. In fact, I'd made it a pick on last even, but I didn't. I just for some reason always just went to using DD when I would write it want, when I would write an ISO image to a thumb drive. But DD Rescue is my way more preferred because you get you get like your transfer rate and it just I, you know you can tell it's working it's it gives you more information and I feel like it's faster too. So I, DD Rescue is uh, uh, DD. Pff, please, I I used DD a long time ago. Now I use DD Rescue. Um, Fortune's um, a good one. I have another one that mm-hmm. it's really really useful, but it is it, you got to get used to how it works. Uh, diff. To, oh to yeah, check sure. To see the different, yeah. the different, you yeah. Know, what's different about files is it's I use it all the time. Yeah. So what did I say other than uh, HTOP, as I used to use HTOP, but now I use Nmon, short for yes. Nagule Monitor. It's a, it doesn't just monitor your real time statistics. It has a longer term, so you can see mm-hmm. more of like a GUI CPU monitor. It just tracks it over time, so you can see how your CPU usages are. Kernel or network I/O. Great it's one. All right there. That's it's a very. I'm more installing it right now. Compared to each one, <laughs> yep. it's really nice. I'm just. I just installed it right now, as you said it, because that's one I've heard of before. That's what I love about doing this segment with you guys. You guys will often mention ones that I know of, but oh, MPV. Yeah, Imacon is right. MPV is not only like my favorite way to watch videos, but it is, I think, the absolute best way to watch a live video stream, if possible. Um, so, for example, you take like the Jupiter Broadcasting JB Live stream. You go to jblive.tv and you right-click on the RTSP stream under the Flash player, 
and you just go and once you have MPV installed, you go into your command line, you type MPV space, you paste in the RTSP stream, and you will see MPV figures out what the codec is. It sees if there's a delay between the audio and the video, and if there is a delay, it will sync that and correct that for you. And it's also aware if your network is being a little sticky and it's dropping packets, and it will start buffering ahead to accommodate for a little bit of network issues. It is such a great way to watch live video over the internet because it is such an intelligent player, MPV. Uh, so I definitely got to give that a plug. If you like to watch our shows and you don't want to use Flash, super great for that. Second plug, I've mentioned it before. These are, if you were a longtime listener, you know these ones, Live Streamer. Live Streamer is great because, again, I don't, I don't like watching live shows in my browser. I love watching live shows. I don't like watching it in my browser because my browser's for doing other stuff. I want my I'm I come from a day when browsers crashed a lot. And so Livestreamer, what you do is for example, you go Livestreamer and then you put in the URL of the live stream, like a Ustream page or a Twitch pay, a Twitch page, and, and and the quality of that stream you want. And what Livestreamer will do is it will go grab that flash encaps, encapsulated video bundle it back up, do a local RTSP stream for you, send it to your media player like VLC and do a local stream of that flash player over over your in your local in your computer into your VLC player uh, bypassing the need for you to have flash at all and and then sending what was forced and locked into your web browser now into your VLC player so that way you can move VLC onto your second monitor and have that your web browser like an animal. That's so live streamer is awesome. And Fish is a great shell for doing auto-completion. You can also uh, do MPV. You could throw things like you could type mpvjblive.fm, and it would just start streaming our audio feed for you. So, yeah, those are great ones. Those are really good ones. It's actually got a built-in, you know, a lot of people know it has Y2, uh, YouTube DL support for yeah, MPV, yeah. but they've actually made it a more of a, a, a standard feature, so you don't have to put the Y, the dash YT DL, you can just uh, just do with a regular MP, MPV command and it'll work. Hmm. That's pretty nice. The, does anyone feel like we've gotten, forgotten a uh, grep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some go-tos. Like, do we list all of them, like LS and Grep and Top? I mean, those are good ones, too. Uh, yeah, but Grep is a good tool to learn. Um, what about all the great System D commands? Yeah, they're... <laughs> you know... That will be... Uh, not to be that guy, but we could go on all freaking day. And I, I, I swear to God, I didn't plan it like this, but... This would be a great spot to mention Linux Academy because if you are kind of interested in learning these tools, so I this is a little personal story, um, and this is why I think Linux Academy. Even if you're like a long time Linux user, I had a little humble pie like a few years ago, and so uh, go to linuxacademy.com/unplug to get our discount. And this was the humble pie I experienced. Now you could have this in your privacy of your own home. I had to have this at a classroom at a community college, so I go to a community college because. You know what? Work wanted me to, you know, keep keep training up, keep keep going on, and and I had no interest in learning anything about the Windows stuff. So I any anything Linux I could take, I was going to take that over the Windows stuff and the Microsoft stuff anytime. And and they said, well, okay, we'll take a Linux Plus course. And I rolled my eyes. I said, I am your server. I have I converted this entire infrastructure from Novell Netware to Windows NT to Linux. I did all of that myself, and you want me to go take a Linux Plus course? A uh, police, right? I'm starting to get – I got a little diva. 
But I went because, first of all, it was ran by this na- guy named Grant. Uh, he goes to Linux Fest. I, 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 bu- I bumped into him every year since I took his class, which has been kind of cool. And uh, he's a great guy. And I, I learned that even though I had deployed Linux hundreds of times, I had, I had converted an entire company over to Linux. I had done massive deployments. I mean, you know, hundreds of servers. I still needed some of the basics to be refreshed because there was ways to do what I was doing better every single day. And it's not that I was arrogant. It's just that I thought if there was a better way to do it, I had to figure it out by now or I just hadn't thought of it in a certain way. And, and, and so when I went and took that very remedial Linux course, I had a little humble pie to realize, you know what, there is a space for me to always continue my education. And so when Linux Academy came around, uh, I was all about that because I do not want to become stagnant. I also like to rechallenge myself from time to time. And if you're, if you are, if you are employed, if you have reviews, if you have clients, things like that, it, these kinds of progress are really nice. And so, one of the things I've I've really appreciated about Linux Academy since I've signed up is it's created by people that truly love Linux, are truly passionate about Linux, and they get the challenges you're going to face when you have to go administer Linux. And so that's, for example, like one of the reasons I've rolled out this new feature called Nuggets. Uh, they're just like uh, single how-tos, which are a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Like you want to know how to just fully exploit rsync. You really want to know how to just get the most out of top. I mean, like just these commands that if you knew a little bit better, you might get more insights out of your computer or maybe you have better file transfers or better data, data integrity. So they created these nuggets. They're like anywhere between two and 60 minutes long and they just deep dive into one specific thing and make you better at using that thing. Or, of course, they have entire scenario-based trainings where you're going to go deploy a server from beginning to end where it's got the entire LAMP stack and maybe you're, you're caching files up on Amazon and you're all of it, right? And they'll give you SSH access to it and they'll spin up the lab and you'll have seven plus distributions you get to choose from. And whatever distro you choose, the courseware adjusts to that and the virtual machines adjust to that this is such a neat system because they're not focused on trying to teach you how to use Adobe After Effects or how to manage Autodesk uh, workstations or anything like that like or fix the sync. No, it's it's all of this stuff in Linux and open source and they're following it so closely because they're passionate about it. So they're making sure their stuff is always current. Their stuff is, they're, they're rolling out new things all the time and that's why they're also investing in open source projects. They have a $5,000 grant program that you can find out more about. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our 33% discount. 33%. And it's a really great resource. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And uh, I give them a hearty recommendation from a hard-learned lesson. You don't have to learn it the way I did. Yeah, you can do one more uh, CLI app if you'd like. Uh, KDG, go ahead. Have at it. I don't – but I, are you muted? No, I don't hear you. Well, I will, you can always leave in the comments too. Oh, go ahead. No, I hear you. Go ahead. Uh, SSH. We did SSH, but yes, SSH and not just SSH, but I think what deserves an honorable mention is like SFTP and uh, X1140 using SSH. Like SSH itself is like an umbrella for a lot of cool stuff. So, yeah. Do they do an audio course? (laughs) That's a good question, Dan. That's a really good question. (laughs) Screen and Tmux. Another screen is is. Vital. I'm, uh, for example, right now I have I'm using Screen because I have a Minecraft server running up on a DigitalOcean droplet, and I just I have Screen running all, all the time. RSync over SSH. Mosh, Mosh. If you are connecting to a machine remotely and it's a little sticky, the connection isn't very fast. Maybe your keys aren't repeating fast enough. Mosh rides on top of SSH, but gives you things like local echo. 
So that way, when you type, you see it immediately. It handles disconnects better. So if you're on spotty Wi-Fi or you're using um, like a, a, a MiFi hotspot and the connection's coming in and out because you're on the road, Mosh is going to handle those. Or, or here's another example. If you just have a laptop that you bring to work and you SSH into a machine and you put it to sleep and you go somewhere else and you want to be able to open up your machine and you can still get to that same host, Mosh will reconnect. So uh, Mosh is really great. Uh, apt get. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, Rotten Corpse, you'll have our last word, and then uh, we'll move on. Well, uh, in referencing to the emulation episode of last this past Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the great command line uh, program that uh, gives you a lot of good Nintendo 64 gaming, uh, Moopin 64 Plus. Yeah, yep, that was uh, Colonel Linux's favorite. Moopin 64 Plus is awesome. So is SNEX. Um, all right, so coming up really soon, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about it more, is uh, Southeast Linux Fest. And ironically, it's just in time for the new 2015 Southeast Linux Fest that the crew actually got 2014's videos posted. And uh, our very own producer, Mr. Q5Sys' talk is up about Puppy Linux and deconstruction. I'm just going to play – I'll just play a little bit. For those of you not familiar with Puppy, this is kind of a good uh, introduction to it uh, right here. Um, Puppy was designed to be very friendly. You have an old system or someone has an old system and they just want to get online, you plug it in, you get online, you can browse the web, you can send emails. It's meant to be very, very simple to use. Now, if you want to get in and dig into it, you're going to need some skill levels um, above just a random user because of how everything is actually done. But for just standard user computer actions, we want it to be as easy as possible. Like I said, it will run extraordinarily fast. The primary reason for this is because it runs from RAM. Um, hmm. and we'll touch on that in just a moment. Nice. I will have all the applications for needed for daily use. These are the typical things like a document writer, a spreadsheet. Um, so you can send emails, you can play music, you can watch movies. The versions of the programs that we use and the actual versions of programs that we use um, are sometimes not the ones you're familiar with. The reason we've chosen those is because we're looking to keep the size as minimal as possible. Right now, the latest official release of Puppy, the entire OS, GUI, and all applications is about 140 megabytes. Wow. Uh, so the whole video is up. It's about 54 minutes long, and uh, it just went up, and we'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, if you'd like to meet Mr. Uh, Q5Sys or uh, Colonel Linux or uh, Rotten, are you going to go to self? I'm planning on it, but I haven't. Yeah. It's not confirmed yet. So uh, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, so Southeast uh, Southeast Linux Fest, I'm told by the crew, uh, one of the great Linux Fests put on every single year is going on June 12th through the 14th, 2015, at the Charlatan or at the Sheraton at Char at the Char at the Sheraton at the Charlotte Airport <laughs> in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, you got that? It's June 12th through the 14th at the Sheraton Charlotte Airport. In Charlotte, North Carolina. It's, it makes it really easy. Uh, and, and actually, to make it even easier for you guys, uh, I set up a meetup at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting with all of the like the address and the, the bits of information you need to know, including they have limited hotel rooms still available as part of the self block. And if you get that, that means um, you're going to get a free shuttle to and from the international airport. Uh, and you're going to get the special $99 room rate, and you'll also get free internet in the room. So you need to book if you haven't booked yet for Southeast Linux Fest because they, they've, they've reopened just a few more rooms on the block. They'd sold out, and they got a few more. We set up the meetup. You can go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcast, and you'll find it there. I also have it linked directly in the show notes. If you'd like to meet up with the crew, uh, they're going to be down there. Unfortunately, I had intended to go. But we sort of overextended ourselves to make Linux Fest Northwest possible. 
And so uh, I just I can't afford to send myself to Linux Fest. Or, I mean, to Southeast Linux Fest. I'm major bummed because it's one that I've been wanting to go to for a couple of years. But we'll have the guys there, and they'll be doing live coverage, and I'll be in studio, I suppose. And um, um, so that I, I we will still have great coverage. I'm just, I am a little bummed because I really wanted to go, but it doesn't affect our coverage of the event. And you can still meet up with uh, perhaps producer Rotten Corpse, uh, Colonel Linux, and Q5 Sis are going for sure. And it should be, I'm told, one of the best events of the year. And it's really pretty convenient if you get on that block because you fly in there. They shuttle you right to the fest. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and you can sleep. And the fest is at the hotel. So you don't have to travel. And uh, then the guys just go out and get food and stuff. And there's some great places to eat nearby. So, gosh, it should be a heck of a time. It makes me, man, I, I oh. So I think next year we sort of we sort of assessed how we'll do Linux Fest so that way we can afford to do some of these other things. We have other events coming up too. That's the other reason is because OSCON is just around the corner and I'm, I'm going to that very soon. So there's a couple other events that it's just all they all back up really close to each other. I would love to go to self. So hopefully we'll be able to pace ourselves for Linux Fest Northwest next year and then and then I can go to self. Kind of a hard lesson to learn. But yeah, now we know. Uh, BSD can was also hope I was hoping to go to BSD can, but my passport still doesn't come through at this point and it's getting too close. So yeah, but you guys can still go and then tell me all about it. Make me super jelly at, uh, and go to meetup.com slash Jupiter broadcasting to get more on that. Um, and rotten corpse. I hope you can make it. That'd be really cool. Cause I, I, yeah. I'm told it's a crazy party. Uh, it, the, the, the thing that, has, that annoyed me is like the, before I even knew it existed, they had went to Atlanta, mm-hmm. and then the, the year after that, they started going to Charlotte just consistently. Yeah. So the one that was actually close to me was the one I didn't yeah. even know was happening. That'd have been nice, huh? <laughs> Go figure. Well, that's how it goes. Uh, I I I I've always been tempted to go, but it wasn't until the guys had gone for a couple years in a row. Like, yeah, we've. So it's one thing like you hear you hear a good party, but then you go to all of them. And then you really get an idea of which ones are the good parties. And the guys that go to all of them say this is one of the best parties out there. So that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, we're going to get into the Meerkat review. System76 is not a sponsor of Linux Unplugged. And uh, I, I, wouldn't, I, could, I would still do the review in the Linux Action Show. But uh, we actually have two weeks, book solid on Linux Action Show, of really great guests. And so it doesn't really quite fit into our schedule. And I've been using the Meerkat on and off in production. So I, my, my experiences are fresh right now. Uh, System76 has released this ultra-compact. It's an i5 or i3-based rig. Uh, you can put up to 2.5 terabytes of disk in it because it can actually fit two disks in this tiny little thing. It's smaller than a Mac Mini. Uh, it's based, I think, on the NUC platform is, is, is essentially what the original platform is based on. And then System76 has done uh, design work and firmware work and drivers work to sort of differentiate it from the rest of the market. I'll get to that here in, here in a moment. But to give you a general sense, uh, in production, we've used this uh, up at Linux Fest Northwest to drive a couple of displays and do our 24-7 uh, uh, playback that we had while we had the booth uh, assembled. And then now today, it's actually in-studio driving all of our remote audio. And uh, I'm going to get into more of that in a moment, give you my experiences with the NUC platform and specifically with the System76 Meerkat. And uh, I, in fact, something I don't normally talk about in these reviews, but I want to in this review is the complete out-of-box experience because uh, System76 has done something unique with the Meerkat that I've never seen them do with their previous products. So I think it, it, deserves, uh, it deserves a mention. 
Um, so before we get to that, I'll, I'll give uh, our uh, our last sponsor this week a mention because these guys are making my life so much easier, and they can make your lives a lot better too in a lot of different ways. It's DigitalOcean, and uh, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider that's dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. And that sounds like some mumbo jumbo. I, I'll grant you that. In fact, it took me it took me about three years to even be able to cope with the word cloud and not shutter. Uh, I'm there now. Thankfully, it took some counseling. Uh, but the reason why I get through that line is it's so accurate. It's exactly what you get. You get a badass, super fast Linux computer up on a server that has been built by experts to be as fast as possible and is easy to manage and easy to deploy applications on as you could possibly conceive. And I, I, I just like there's I guess I could say that every time, but that's a little more clunky than they are a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Legitimately, that's DigitalOcean. And if that for you means your entire backend infrastructure, they can do that. If that for you means you need to rent a server for two hours while you test something, they can do that. You can deploy everything on their rigs with their SSD-based technology. It doesn't matter which package you pick. It's all SSDs top to bottom, every single every single machine. That means you're going to get super great I.O. You're not going to need a big old disk array that's like fiber attached or SCSI attached or I, whatever, iSCSI. With, you know, it's so much nicer with SSDs today. And this is where DigitalOcean sort of stack the deck is I would say when they started out, Betting on KVM was kind of risky, but pretty obvious it was trending that way if you really followed the, the market. And, and DigitalOcean does. I mean, the people that, that work for DO are like the top of the field. That, that probably to them wasn't a big revelation. KVM is going to be a fantastic virtualizer. I mean, because this, this is like, granted, this is a while ago, right? So yeah, okay, they made that bet. Linux, again, kind of the same thing. Bit of a bet back then for infrastructure on a cloud device, but Kind of seemed like where the market was going pretty clear by that point. It was going to be Linux. KVM, not so clear. Maybe Zen, right? Could have been Zen. Could have been QMU. Could have been something else. But Linux, that seemed pretty obvious. I think where they actually went out on a limb pretty big uh, was SSDs. Um, because the SSDs, that, that, that's the, the jury has still only recently gotten in on that. Um, that was a huge cost outlay for them. That was a huge cost outlay for them to also then try to make the service so freaking valuable in cost. And, and because they decided we need Linux, we need tier one bandwidth, we need the best disk IO possible. When they stacked the deck that way, that made, then all they had to do was seal the deal. So, that's what they did. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans started only $5 a month. That seals the deal right there. For $5 a month, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Right? It's dedicated to you. You get a terabyte of transfer. I love that. I love that because I pay for transfer. So uh, when, I, when I'm setting up a DigitalOcean drop, I'm like, and I, and I have one that has Minecraft on there, and I think I get like four terabytes of transfer or something like that. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, have at it. Let me just throw the transmission web UI on there too. And they got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a brand new spanking data center in Germany that's connected right on the internet exchange over there. So all Germany's neighbors get unparalleled access. I mean, you're going to look like a boss when you spin up a droplet over there. But that interface is so slick. I mean, it's very intuitive. So you're going to be able to do a lot of things that normally you would have thought uh, to manage on a virtual server would have required a degree. Uh, and it's so, so nice because you can also replicate all of that functionality with their straightforward API. And you can integrate that in with your applications, your management infrastructure. You can take advantage of all of the great applications. When you go to DigitalOcean, check out some of their community apps. 
There's a lot of good stuff. And remember, you can try all this out two months for free when you use our promo code DOUNPLUGGED. DOUNPLUGGED will get you a $10 credit. You try out the $5 rig for free. And DigitalOcean is hiring too. They need writers. They're looking for people to submit articles for their tutorial section. They're opening that back up again. Go over to DigitalOcean and check out their career section. They're specifically looking for Linux sysadmins. They're a growing company. They need tutorials. They need copyright editors. They need Linux sysadmins. They specifically told me to tell you guys that because they know you guys are the super savvy audience that they want to hire. And they get this stuff. They, they've asked me to tell you that because they want to hire you guys specifically and gals uh, because they know that Jupiter Broadcasting has one of the best audiences out there. So go over there. Try out DigitalOcean for a little while. If you need a gig, look them up. They got positions open. They specifically wanted me to mention the, uh, the content editing position and the uh, Linux staff positions. You guys, um, when they opened up those positions before, they were filled by JB community members. I think they can be done again. So go over to DigitalOcean, use the promo code DOUNPLUGGED. That supports this show, but also gives you that $10 credit. You can try out the $5 rig two months for free. And if you're looking for a job and you're in their area, check out their careers page too. And uh, if you can write some tutorials, you might be able to make some money. They are really serious about having the best tutorials on the web. And so if you're a really good writer, you might want to contact them and work. There's a lot of great opportunity over there and have great tutorials too. And they put those content editors on there. DigitalOcean.com, D-O-Unplugged. Check them out. They're a really great service. Okay, so back to the Meerkat. So you guys are talking to me right now on the Meerkat, and um, you know that's not too shocking, I, I suppose. But the question re- I really had is, could a system this small, uh, could, it, could it do something very intensive? And um, I'll tell you what I've ran into from a performance standpoint is uh, it, it's going to depend if you get the i3 or i5. But we've been able to do uh, 720p live video streamed on it without any issues. Uh, it has the Intel uh, Iris graphics in there. And so you get essentially – and we're, using, we're pushing a 1080p re- resolution mirrored, a mirrored 1080p resolution. And we're able to get um, full – 30 frames to 60 frames per second on our HD video calls. The system doesn't get hot. It doesn't kick up a fan noise. It does have a fan, um, but it's uh, it's pretty quiet. I, I, it's actually not pick, it's not audible by our microphones um, in in the studio. So what what really sort of struck out struck me about the Meerkat machine itself is while it's both extremely capable, it's also very very limited. So I feel like it's like I can I could I could say right off the top of this review I can recommend this machine if gaming isn't a huge component of what you do like you can do some gaming like race the sun and things like that but you're not going to get much beyond that that said that's a lot of you because what you do get is you get an i5 processor you can put up to 16 gigabytes of RAM which is pretty competitive but the what really does it for me is that you can have two disks in this tiny frickin' computer. You can have uh, the standard mSATA, and then it can also fit a 2.5-inch on the bottom drive. I think it's a 2.5. I actually didn't, d- didn't double-check it. Uh, and you can, mo- you can mount it right on the back of your monitor. It's got gigabit Ethernet. It's got uh, four USB 3.0 ports. It's DisplayPort out and HDMI. And then it has a combo audio jack. And it's got the Intel 5500, by the way. So it's not, that's no slouch. Two disks in this tiny little nearly silent Linux workstation that can drive two monitors. If you have DisplayPort and mini HDMI, 
if you have monitors that can take that and you can get cables that both of those go to DisplayPort, um, this tiny little machine can drive two displays and it is wicked fast because all of the storage is SSD based. So it's 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 a pretty compelling – the price is a little more than if you were to build it yourself. But if you bought like Crucial RAM and you bought Samsung SSDs, like you got all good parts and then you also provided a warranty for, to yourself, I don't think – I think it's kind of a wash in the, on, on the price. But as, as far as performance goes, um, it it's – it's I, I, it's really hard to describe how impressively fast this thing is. It is deceivingly fast. If if you make a few tweaks to the GNOME environment to work better with the Intel graphics, it's breathtaking. How how, how and it it's just like I, I like it boots in about four seconds, and I'm not exaggerating at all. Um, applications open instantly. There's no waiting. Um, now, I, more of my performance um, review is based on my experience under Arch than it is under Ubuntu. Uh, and I did have a couple of problems where it uh, – one time when I powered it up, it said it couldn't find a boot device. But I, I'm i not actually sure what all was involved there because Rikai was able to fix that in about 30 seconds. And one of the things that he kind of clued me into is if you have a Linux rig that you're setting up that has UEFI – he recommends, and I've been reading about a software package. You probably guys are probably familiar with it in the mumble room called Gummy Boot, um, which is really a, just a simple UEFI boot manager that you use instead of Grub. And uh, so we're using we're using this Meerkat with Gummy Boot and Antigros, and we it shipped with Ubuntu, and that worked fine. But uh, truth be told, um, that installation needed to be rebuilt because. We let a BSD user manage it. I'm not going to go into more details than that. But anyways, uh, so I need to reload it, and and uh, it, it's been great. Um, I, I read reviews online. People say they can use Windows 10 with it as well. I have not tried Windows 10. And if you're watching the video version right now, I'm showing you a picture of what the insides look like. It's surprisingly serviceable. The lid comes off, and you've got three slots for RAM. You've got the slot for the, for the storage, and then the machine flips over, and there's a bunch of stuff on the bottom you can change out, um, like the drive, like the second drive and things like that. It's a pretty neat little rig. I, I, does anybody in my room, do you guys have any questions about the System76 Meerkat? Other than the price. Yeah, so the price, like I was just like, let's take a look at it here. Um, so let's design and buy a System76 Meerkat. And uh, I would go with a 2.7 gigahertz processor. I would go with 16 gigabytes of RAM. I would go with a 250 gigabyte solid state drive. And then I like the options. See, one of the things that I'll let you do here is you can go for your second drive if you just want storage. You could go with a spinning drive. But I kind of, I don't know. I, I guess if we're trying to work on price, maybe I won't pick I won't pick a second drive. But I like the option. I mean, to me, that makes this thing really nice, really compelling. I won't do a monitor or speakers. Um, and I already have a keyboard and mouse. And I can stick with the year warranty. Now, they're going to give you lifetime support of the Ubuntu installation. So that's not bad. Uh, and that's 878. And if you were to, and I did this kind of earlier, if I did that same rig on Amazon... I think it comes out to be $140 cheaper or $180 cheaper, depending on which uh, RAM and uh, CPU I get. It really is $180, really? That's not worth it to me. Because if I order this, and I, again, this is not a sponsored segment. They do not, they're not paying me to say this at all. 
In fact, if anything, um, they probably would they would probably prefer I say this in last because it has a larger audience. But truth be told, I think the value here is you spend uh, what one hundred and fifty, one hundred and eighty dollars, even if it was two hundred. Really, they preassemble it, they warranty it, and they ship it to you. That just those things right there. And and we have now we've built two nucks in the studio, and one nuck. That first installation didn't go so well. Um, that first nuck, if you just get any of the, like you get the wrong RAM voltage or wrong timing, and like it just you know it doesn't work, and so it's kind of a bummer because we got the first nuck. I think the RAM, the voltage of the RAM was off by just a tiny amount. I can't even remember what it was. It was it was a package too. It was a package I bought off Amazon, and they shipped it with the wrong RAM, and I got burned. And we built the whole system. We got it all set up, ready to go. Hit the button, nothing happens. And it's a major letdown because now you wait another three days while you go realize, oh, I bought the wrong RAM. I get the, I get the, I get the right RAM shipped and I send back the old RAM. And then, you know, and when you're sitting here in a business and you want to get a machine in place because you need to replace something, that three-day delay was a major pain in the butt. For some of us, it would be worth 180 bucks to have somebody assemble it, test it, support it, and ship it, especially for a business. Rekai says, by the way, it was 1.5 volt uh, voltage RAM instead of 1.65, or the other way around. Uh, and I, I find it to be, I find it to be at, on on paper an interesting device. I find it once I actually have it in hand to be a compelling device. Uh, I think the size is a big part of that. Corky, what do you think? Well, I think the size is a massive part. If um, you, there are so many use cases that don't need a massive graphics capability. And if you start deploying these in bulk, it could make a massive difference uh, Well, for Linux because when you take these kind of devices and you deploy them as thin clients or dev machines or something and they run Linux perfectly because of open source graphics drivers, uh, solid Mm -hmm. uh, build qualities, they're a real showcase for Linux's power. Yeah, and they're very. They're, it's 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 sort of. It's been one of those things where I showed some people at the Linux Fest, and they're like, "That's the whole computer." That was their reaction. Like, "That's the computer. That's not the power supply. No, that's the whole computer." Um, and uh, I uh, so and I I've been told they run Windows really well. Uh, I can confirm they do run Mac OS very well, um, and that's the beautiful thing about this is it's all Intel parts. And so if your operating system supports Intel Wireless or Intel NUC, or I mean, geez, Intel NICs, Intel um, processors, Intel chipsets, if, you, you know, if your operating system supports that, it's going to work. And so that's Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. And, it, and, and in the case of Linux, it means everything is supported by the kernel. Out of the box. Well, HDMI mirroring, audio out of the HDMI port. All of it. Every distribution. Every single distribution that ships with like a Linux kernel 3.3 or newer works out of the box. And so that to me makes this machine the perfect Linux workstation for a distro hopper. Well, um, that that's just it. It's what it does. It has very few compromises, very few things that you could switch out or make better which will probably be improved in time, it, it may end up with the same user base as ThinkPads, people who want 
things to, that do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an but interesting. For a yeah. limited set of users, and for Linux, that's meant that ThinkPads are amazing for Linux support because they've got that crowd of people who think they're perfect machines. And you know, you look at the trajectory and in the slow but steady um, improvement of the Intel graphics. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I could see maybe a year or two from now where the NUC type hardware is very capable for gaming. Not as, it, of course, standalone game, uh, standalone graphics isn't going to stand still either. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's not only very capable if you have, it's, it, I think it's, I think it's capable if you have moderate graphics usage, um, and I, and that's with like heavy workloads too. Like I'm telling you, like we've thrown some serious CPU work at it. It's not an i7, you know. So you have to come in. You have to come at. I came at it. Maybe I came at it with an abundance of caution, thinking maybe I set my expectations too low, thinking you couldn't, you just can't have a powerful workstation in a in a computer this small. But after a couple of hours of tweaking the uh, Intel driver. And uh, after a couple of hours of just setting up the software, I, I could already tell it was a great system. And so we've been using it now for two, three weeks. And, I mean, it's just like, okay, let's stick it over here do this for a little bit. Stick it over here do this for a little bit. And then this morning, when I had to replace the machine running Mumble, because the Ubuntu updates had just destroyed that, we just put it in. We just put this machine right in its place, and it's just taken right over the roll, and it's working really well. And it's it makes it very, very nice to say, uh, you know, this is a really easy installation. And if somebody were to come to me today and say, "Hey, I'd like to buy a Linux rig," I feel like this is one I could recommend to them, and know that even if they ended up having to reload it themselves, they're not going to run into problems. And and then where and then like the nice thing about the Meerkat is where there are rough edges. System 76 kind of rubbed those down nice to a little smooth round edge, and they're not that sharp. And uh, I mean, I think you could get most of the way there if you built the NUC yourself, and then, they, and then they've come in with the Meerkat and sort of finished it off. And so for me, I'd say I'm just going to – like if I need a device like this, I'm just going to buy a Meerkat now. Maybe you can make your own decision. And, if, but, and for people that, I recommend, people that I think want a new computer, this is the machine I'm going to tell them to buy. If I say, do you play games, and they say no – this is the machine I'm going to tell them to buy. It's because it starts at four ninety nine first of all, and not everybody needs an i five with sixteen gigs of RAM. Some people are going to be fine with an i three and eight gigs of RAM or whatever, and and so for them, you know, they can get it at a lower price point. I'm just because of me. I, I well, I'm going to use it in production, so I got to have an i five. I got to have sixteen gigs. You know, blah blah blah. But four ninety nine is actually the starting price for this thing. That's not so bad. Um, I think I think they've I the only criticism I would give System 76 for this is they should have done it sooner. And and also there are packages out there by folks like Gigabyte that have an i7, but I've read those have heating issues. So I think it's nice that they're sticking closer to the main main line. And I, I and I know why they didn't do it sooner. I know that it wasn't they didn't feel like it was ready to ship sooner. I just I wish I didn't have to buy I bought two other Intel NUCs and I would rather buy these System76 Meerkats because it's a more complete package. It feels like a product whereas the NUC kind of feels like a spec car that I'm putting together that works out pretty good, but it definitely feels like a spec car and it feels like it has rough edges that I just that a shipped product doesn't have. And then the other nice thing about uh, the Meerkat is it ships in some super badass packaging. 
And System 76 has a really great box that they put in it with some great designs in it, and they ship it with a better power adapter than the uh, than the regular kit. Um, so that's nice too. So they've taken they've 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 improved that area as well. So it's a great rig if you need like a development machine or if you need something to do web browsing or mail or you need an office system. And what I really like about it for the office environment is it you it comes with the Visa plate. So you can just mount it to the back of a monitor. It comes with the plate. At least my, my demo model did. Um, and I think they all do. So that's really cool too. That's uh, I really like that. Anyways, any other questions? About the uh, the NUC or the Meerkat in general or the performance or any of that stuff? It's been interesting to compare the Meerkat to the straight-line NUCs side-by-side and because uh, and I, I was pretty skeptical. Um, I'm like, well, what's the difference really? And I'd say there's enough of a difference and just the convenience and the support that it, I think they have something here. And then especially when they're selling directly to consumers. Okay, how well does that perform with KDE? Oh, that's a good question. I don't have a lot of experience, but I have similar experience under like a similar CPU and video card, and it you know it's fantastic. It's the 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 Iris fifty five hundred. Um, you can play Borderlands two, uh, the pre sequel, using that graphics card. Like it is a fully capable. Now I don't. I'm not saying it's gonna be high settings. It's gonna be like thirty frames a second. Well, they're forty frames a second, but. You can frickin' play Border- yeah, Borderlands, the pre-sequel on the Iris graphics. The only time yeah, I in- have a massive, I have a massive laptop that has like quad-core uh, i5 and like eight gigs of RAM. It can't play Borderlands too. And you know, the only thing is, is the Iris graphics is not up to the task of high DPI. That's where it falls down. So of course, that's what the XPS has in it. But if you hook this up to a 1080p display or even like a 2K display, it's going to be fine. It's going to do just fine. It's going to look really good. That's a good question. And uh, I'll do some more gaming tests on it now that uh, we have it hooked up here in the studio. Because I have not thrown like a – one of the ones I get – one of the ones I never get from the – you know, I get different – when I do hardware and distro reviews, I get one set of questions from the live audience, totally different set of questions from the download audience. And the download audience often wants to know about Dota 2. They often want to know how Dota 2 runs. And I, I don't think any of you guys have ever once asked me how Dota 2 runs. But they, the, so that's something I'll try. I'll try Dota two. I'll try some games. Um, I'll do that, and then I'll report back. But uh, we just we just reloaded it, so I I gotta get Steam installed and get the multi lib and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the Meerkat from System seventy six. I give it a thumbs up. And uh, I wonder if they'll let me hang on to it for a little while. <laughs> and if you're gonna do a, if you're gonna do your own like uh, arch load, or you're gonna, I mean, it, just, it comes with Ubuntu, and it really. You know, that's a nice package. Their Ubuntu installation is pre-set up with uh, their System76 uh, software package, so you can go get latest updates from the System76 repo, and it's ready to go out of the box. If you want to put another distro on there, it looks like Gummy Boot is a good way to go if you want to keep Uf- UEFI. Or maybe if you have your own UEFI rig at home, Gummy Boot is worth checking out. It made the installation process a little bit smoother, and uh, it's also the way Arch is pushing for those of you that are Arch users. And I'll also have linked in the show notes a uh, write-up that uh, Beta News did uh, where they reviewed uh, the Meerkat and uh, they liked it as well. And he did a a teardown a little bit of the internals, which is pretty cool. I thought that was a good one. All right. One last plug before we run. Don't forget about that meetup, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. If you're going to be at uh, self, we'd like to see that. And uh, don't don't, uh, use the hashtag self. That's a 
That's something else completely, which you will find out the hard way if you use that. Uh, and then last but not least, send in your runs Linux picks. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. And send in your runs Linux, like pictures of your of your setup or a video of a cool thing or whatever. We love doing the runs Linux picks from the audience. And last but also not least, jblive.tv to tune into the show live and join us in our virtual lug and hang out with us. We do this show on Tuesdays. And uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar has it in your local time zone. But when you hang out in the mumble room, you get to interact with us live and uh, give us a hard time if we uh, do something stupid right here. You can call us out on it. But also we have pre and post show where we like to hang out and chat with you guys. And then you can also always engage. Oh, hi there. Hi. That just came in right in there. At linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Send in your feedback, leave comments, stories, things like that. It's always good times over the subreddit. And then that helps make a better show. And we'll uh, follow up with that. And I'll also try to follow up on the Meerkat gaming stuff. Like, uh, And if you have any questions about that, linuxactionshow.reddit.com in the Linux Unplugged feedback thread. Put your Meerkat questions in there, and I'll try to collect some of those and do a follow-ups in uh, next week's episode of Linux Unplugged. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 93 of the Linux Unplugged program. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Tuesday.